Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 243. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And Kip, today I wanted to talk about a report on indoor air quality by the EPA that I recently stumbled across, which states that the average American spends 90% of their time indoors. Taking the statistic, many writers and thinkers on environmental platforms deem the human race an indoor species. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this, mostly because this past summer of 2019, I began a new position working on a farm. I've spent 45 hours a week working outside. It was after my first week of work that I had a realization. I have never been outside this much in my life. Don't get me wrong, I love spending time outside. But with my schedule as a student, so much of my time is spent indoors, whether that be for class or studying or part-time jobs. Really, most of my life, and I think the vast majority of our lives, are structured around time indoors. For our careers and our educations, and our social lives and leisure as well. We fit in walks and hikes, days at the beach, and maybe the occasional camping trip. But those activities don't seem to be as fundamental as what I think, at least, they should be. I really love those points, and the first thoughts they made me think relate to the amount of time one spends outdoors. I think back to my childhood, and a lot of childhoods that I've idealized, especially in previous decades, And I know that it's statistically true that children are spending less and less time outside, which I find really interesting and profound. And I'd love to come back to that because we may be an indoor species now, but our roots, both in terms of young age and in terms of evolution, are inherently tied to nature and the outdoors, at least in my perspective. And additionally, this point you brought up that I hadn't previously considered, and so I'm really excited about that, The times in our lives or in our days, months, and years that we do spend outside. When I picture weddings, for example, they do happen indoors, but many of them that I envision, especially receptions, happen outside in destinations, beautiful places in nature that help frame and even decorate this beautiful ceremony that two people are trying to have. A note I wrote down as you were speaking is the idea of social versus professional time. One of those, the latter, to me, I associate with being indoors. And I think for a lot of people, in a probably classist way, we don't have great opinions of people whose jobs are outdoors. We don't think of them as kindly. And I wonder if in your work as a farmer, at least for the summer, there are some cultural stereotypes that have evolved, that people who work indoors, often those who are educated, may not have as high an opinion of those who are working with their hands, and in many cases, in nature. I find that to be disrespectful for a lot of reasons, but the first of which being that people who work in nature are often doing so to protect or help those who don't have to. If we didn't have farmers doing the hard work of cultivating crops, we wouldn't have fresh produce, which is really healthy, or animals and the various products that they give us. We might not have as large a society without these people to help make our food. And so I find it fascinating, at least from my perception of our society, that there's not more respect for the people working with their hands. Indeed, in other aspects of nature, if we didn't have lumberjacks, people engaging with trees, if we didn't have folks who were fishing or maintaining national parks or fighting forest fires, any number of ways that human beings engage outdoors with nature, the rest of us would all have more difficult lives. 
We might still be able to live indoors, but nature would come approaching our doorsteps more readily and perhaps more angrily. Even in suburbia, if we didn't have gardeners or people to take care of our lawns, nature would literally encroach upon these indoor spaces that we've cultivated. And I've veered a bit away from the social professional dynamic, but in my mind, I associate professionalism with the indoors and more social or recreational time with the outdoors. I appreciate that you bring up this theme with classist attitudes in relation to work and the outdoors. My bosses have often actually expressed their frustrations when in conversation with people of classic indoor professions who often look down upon their work, not because it isn't valuable, but because they underestimate the intellectual aspects of farm work and work in the outdoors, associating it solely with manual labor. While there is a great deal of manual labor, such work also necessitates a deep understanding of ecological systems and local environments, taking from chemistry and biology, but also require an understanding of social sciences. For example, the ways that food and crops operate within the social systems that they are embedded. I also find myself often drawing a distinction between work and leisure when it comes to the outdoors. I often think of Bear Grylls, the television host of Man vs. Wild, someone who is rugged, daring, and dirty, and isn't afraid to challenge, ultimately overcome, the dangers of the animal unpredictable and wildness of nature. Outdoorsiness is a trait unique to the few who can handle it, rather than an intrinsic part of our humanity, and I think that this ultimately reflects a greater self-conception of humanity, rooted in the opposition of culture and nature, a humanity defined by its separation and dominance over nature rather than relationship to nature. With your earlier mention of biology and chemistry, the intellect inherent in interacting with nature, I had the thought that nature is already this library of vast information, and we as humanity are not inventing knowledge, but we're discovering it. You and I, Kathleen, both have improv roots, and some of the best improv advice I've ever been given is that you don't invent in a scene, you discover things. There's something organic to that, and I really love your framing of the intellectualism, if you will, inherent in nature. To me, a lot of this topic deals with the hubris of mankind and how highly we think of ourselves when indeed, I won't deny how evolved we are, but we come from the animal kingdom. We come from planet Earth, even as we feel increasingly separated from it in the materials we use and the technology we develop. And so I really love your framing there. I wrote down in my preparation for this episode the idea of indoor or digital tourism as a tool of the technologically advanced. We can sit still and go anywhere if you think about things like VR or profoundly vivid media experiences, but we aren't in those moments among the living debris of our world. We are very safe on our couches, in our bedrooms, anywhere really that you can stream media. You don't have to be among nature. I'm reminded of the popularity of David Attenborough's various nature documentaries and how popular nature documentaries are, because I think on some level we all inherently recognize our connection to the environment. It's true of various ancient cultures, and I wonder if many of them were alive today, how much they might frown upon or wonder as to our disconnection from the natural world. 
I think our increased predilection towards being an indoor species, which I really love as a phrase, relates to our desire for control and compartmentalization, if you will. But I would contend that these are two fundamental lies of the world. You're not really ever going to have control over anyone but yourself, and even that could be debated. And additionally, in the idea of compartmentalization, there are some things that you can separate, but that's a human act. You are imposing separation upon them. In the natural world, forests don't have a border. It's simply where the tree's seeds stopped falling. And deserts, similarly, don't have a fixed boundary. That's just where the ancient sea happened to erode rock into sand. I think nature in a lot of ways beautifully doesn't need boundaries. It finds its own. And to me, they're so much more organically beautiful for that. Whereas humanity cares about fences, walls, ceilings, floors, national borders, there's a great deal that we impose upon nature. So to come back to the literal topic of being an indoor species, I think it's rooted in a desire to get away from the chaos of nature and to impose order. Order is more comfortable, but I am going to make the point that it's a tad less natural. It's not the way of the world. The world is in a semi-constant state of chaos. I appreciate the points you make about control and compartmentalization, especially because I think that these innate human desires and assuaging of fears goes hand in hand with the exploitation and disconnection to nature that we find so prevalent in our society today. Even when looking to our scientific relationship to nature, it's one that is often rooted in destruction. For example, as we kill an animal to understand its anatomy. I'm often drawn to memories of seeing dead butterflies in cases as a way to learn about the insects, rather than go out to a park and see if I can find a monarch. Back to the insufficiency of our interactions with nature through a screen. We need to learn how to be in nature again. As you stated already, we are rooted in nature, which reminds me of a quote from novelist D.H. Lawrence, who says that we are bleeding at the roots because we are cut off from the earth and sun and stars. We've forgotten how to be in nature. This also reflects the degree to which we have underestimated nature's ability to teach us. Beyond classroom discussions of biomes and food chains, nature offers us experiential knowledge which transcends the tangible. And it is this kind of experiential learning which roots us to each other and to the world around us. Without this relationship, we ultimately displace ourselves, especially in the context of universal issues like global warming. Without a relationship to the world around us, we don't really care what happens to the world around us. However, beyond that, even for those of us who believe in climate change as a fact of the world around us, in impending doom, we lack a fundamental understanding of its lived impact. And to that point, while it would take time to illustrate how living indoors could contribute to the degradation of the environment, I think it's pretty evident that those who live indoors because of the barriers that homes provide are less aware of the environmental experience of the world around us. Because you can turn on your air conditioner if you can afford it, and the experience of an especially hot summer is less present in your individual experience. And a notch I have off of that bullet point that I wanted to share that to me feels important is that nature has consequences. I think a lot of people will hear that in the negative. And indeed, I feel that if we do abuse the planet, abuse nature, there are ramifications to that. We will feel it as a species. 
as the quotation you shared, I think, beautifully illustrates. But there's also plenty of evidence that spending time outdoors does wonders for people. It's been proven in poetry since time immemorial, and as modern science has evolved, there have been studies about the impacts of spending time outdoors. I lament that it's a luxury for some people, and others are forced into the environment. Another bullet point I wrote down, who gets to spend time outside, and who has to spend time outside. And I think we would all concede that in some harsh climes and elements, you shouldn't be forced to suffer through that, because nature can be brutal, even if we aren't abusing its resources. The world is a vast and dangerous place outside. Which is what I think gets back to our reason for being or becoming more of an indoor species. This idea of safety is so evolutionarily encouraged. Who wouldn't want to imagine a safe area with four walls, a roof, a clean floor, a space you can store food? All of these aspects of being indoors connote not only great safety, but great comfort. And so it makes sense to me that we as a species have tended more towards the indoors. But as this whole topic itself illustrates, and I'm really grateful that you brought it up, we see so many things in a binary that if we enjoy one thing, its opposite must by default be a terrible thing. And it doesn't really make sense with the outdoors. Much like the indoors, I would say there's good and bad. I would argue that the more time we spend indoors, we become more like observers than participants. And I think there's a time and a place to be observant and to be participatory. And another point that I thought of in preparation for this episode is that we often refer to outdoor or rural areas as being sketchy or in the middle of nowhere. They are without location or a point of existence. They are simply absent. They don't belong. They're nebulous. And sure, we can feel negatively about indoor spaces, but not quite to the same degree. We can't always control lighting outside, not true in many indoor spaces, and various other aspects of climate. I think for many indoor spaces, we've taken what we can't do with nature, control its light, its texture, the temperature of outdoor spaces, and we've manifested all of those abilities of control within indoor spaces. I'm also reminded then, in thinking of nature's vastness, of being in the middle of nowhere, of this idea of terror, which differs from horror in terms of excessive fear. Terror is all about apprehension and anticipating that you will encounter something unpleasant or scary, whereas horror is the actual experience of being exposed to that thing. And to me, nature has a far greater capacity to be terrifying because of all that it could contain. And I wonder if that's one reason we've trended more towards the indoors. We can be horrified indoors by things, but at least there's a container, there's a framework. There is a skeleton that we understand because there are literal blueprints of buildings that exist. And even the most detailed maps of nature don't always show us what exists in this vast planet we inhabit. I really appreciate that you bring up this idea of terror in nature, especially because it reminds me of Rudolf Otto's concept of the holy or numinous, which consists of two components, tremendum or terror, an awe-inspiring fear, as well as fascinans, which is a deep attraction, which draws us in. And this concept is often really encountered in nature. It is a place where we often experience the transcendent, and we find this time and time again, both in structured religious traditions, looking to holy texts, rituals, and doctrine, as well as our own lived spiritualities. 
returning to your point regarding the creepiness of the rural outdoors, I think we find ourselves again in the territory of classism, where we associate the cities, the indoors, with the educated elite, the cosmopolitan central, versus in rural areas where there's not only creepy cornfields, but also the uneducated farmer and the backwater hick, which I find reflects a trend present throughout this discussion, that of a capitalistic relationship to nature both in our desire to climb up the corporate ladder and our excessive use of nature around us, whether that be to power our worlds and lives or to understand the nature we're studying itself. And beautifully relevant in this topic, the ideas of what we reject and what we embrace. As always, Kathleen, I appreciate your willingness to embrace the dialogues that we have, and I'm grateful that we're able to share them with the audience. And in the spirit of curiosity, as opposed to fear of the unknown, What questions and ideas would you like to leave with the audience after listening to our conversation? I encourage those who are listening to track their own relationship to nature and the outdoors and question how that's changed over the trajectory of their lives, whether that be in the context of growing older or having a career or family. Furthermore, how has your relationship or lack of relationship shaped your sense of individuality? Do you feel a relationship to nature or to those you live in the world with? not necessarily in your families or social circles, but who exist around you at large. Do you feel a difference when you're outdoors in a park as opposed to in a commute in a city, when you're surrounded by trees as opposed to skyscrapers or buildings? I'd like to pose four scenarios for the audience to consider and compare. Spending time alone indoors, spending time with others indoors, spending time alone outside in nature, and spending time with others outside in nature. Compare as you will, make whatever connections you'd like. I suppose if I had one metric I would love your thoughts on, could you rank those from least to most enjoyable? Or another adjective, perhaps least to most informative? And lastly, Kathleen, I'm going to pose a question that you brought up in our preparatory document. You made a bullet point underneath the topic and remarked, is this simply where we make our worlds? And the questions that came from that for me, do we make the worlds we live in? Do we not find ourselves within a certain world? And perhaps most importantly, do we as human beings, as a human society, have the capacity or the interest in shaping the world we live in? But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Because ours are only two voices, and we genuinely love to hear what you think or feel about the topic. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feelings of any kind, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation.